G'day guys, thanks for listening to the Noob Spiro podcast today and joining the illustrious Turbo and I in studio. Now, I don't know about you, but I love to save money on spearfishing equipment. When I want to buy a spear gun, there's nothing I like better than saving $20. That's right, you can use the code noobspiro at spearfishing.com.au to save $20 on all purchases over $200. That goes along with cheap shipping worldwide and a 90-day no-hassles returns policy. You can also visit Adreno in their physical stores in Melbourne, Sydney or Brisbane. Check out a huge range of equipment and get advice from more than 60 underwater equipment experts. That's right, support the Noob Spiro podcast by shopping with our sponsor, spearfishing.com.au and thank you for joining us today. G'day and welcome to the Noobs Bureau podcast. Today we are speaking with none other than Hawaiian Kimmy Werner and we're going to speak to Kimmy all about, well, being a travelling Spiro. She's uh, travelling the world, spearfishing some great locations. Uh, she talks to us all about diving in really cold waters in the um, Arctic and she's also going to talk to us about the Antarctic as well and her future plans there. She also tells us a little bit about how to become non-threatening when you're spearfishing so that uh, you don't spook those fish and uh, a lot of other great tips from Kimmy. She's been spearfishing a long time and you are going to love this episode. I wanted to share awesome experiences that you can have when you are in the water and that's why I started spearfishing. I just clamped down on the reel and got drugged down to about 50 feet and I'd never had a battle like that before in my life. So when you're learning where to hunt and find fish, they're the hotspots, it's where fish want to be. Don't overcomplicate your gear, don't go diving dressed up like a Christmas tree. <laughs> <laughs> I actually started off in stubbies with a bloody belt with a pig knife on it. And they've seen this big fin break the surface, roll into the water, look down, here's this nice big great white. <laughs> Once your face hits the water and you feel relaxed through all the other stresses of life seem to disappear. It's a whole new world and it's mysterious, it's magical. Beats the shit out of knitting anyway. Oh yeah. All right, so hello and welcome to the Noob Spiro podcast. It's great to have you with us today, Kimmy. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, uh... Turbo and I have been up since 4.30 a.m. It's now 7.30, and despite some audio hiccups, you're rejoining us, so thank you for that. Yeah. Round two. Round two. So, Kimmy, you, you live in Hawaii. Um, what part of Hawaii are you in now, right now? Right now, I am on the north shore of Oahu. Okay. Are you in a populated area, or is it all sort of like rural? It's a pretty rural area for this island. This island is the most populated of them all. Uh, yeah. It's not where I grew up. I grew up on the island of Maui and um, was raised out in the country over there. And so so now I'm on Oahu and I'm trying to live in the most rural part of it just for <laughs> old time's sakes. Yeah. Okay. So you grew up uh, in a rem- on a more remote part of Hawaii. Uh, how did you get started spearfishing? Well, I didn't really start spearfishing myself until I was an adult, but I got introduced to that whole world, to the underwater world, and and to the idea of spearfishing from my dad. Um, he was a very avid 
spear fisherman and he used it to put food on the table. It wasn't a sport at all. It was just something to, to feed his family and to kind of help contribute to his community. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was wonderful for us. I mean, I know that we might have been poor at the time, but I definitely did not feel poor. I mean, I was eating fish and lobsters for dinner. And when I would get to tag along with my dad on these dives, I would pretty much just put in my order for what I wanted to eat and watch as he would swim down and get it for me. Yeah. I've seen one of the videos on your YouTube channel and um, you talk about how you chase octopus. Um, <laughs> was it your dad that taught you that technique? And can you explain for our listeners what, what that technique looks like? Sure. Yeah. My dad um, definitely taught me how to hunt for octopus. And I would say the hardest part of it was always um, just finding the octopus first because they're such masters of camouflage that you really need to develop an eye and know what to look for that will show you where the octopus lives. And, um, and once you find the house or the hole where the octopus lives, there's a few different things you can do. And what a lot of divers do is they'll just kind of go down and, you know, and jam their spear in the hole and kill the octopus in its house. Um, but what my dad taught me is he taught me that, you know, you shouldn't do that because you always want to see how big the octopus is first. And so he has his technique where he kind of just puts the three prong tip of his spear in the octopus's hole and just tickles it and irritates it until the octopus wraps all of its legs around the spear and you can get your hands on it and pull it out. And, you know, that really allows you to just see how big it is and whether or not it's a keeper. And if it's not a keeper, you can just let it go. And if it is, then the way that we kill it is um, we bite its brain. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, cool. And um, how, how did you learn where to bite on the octopus? Well, it, it's... Um, it's just right right in between and right below the eyes. And so basically, I mean, and it's nothing that I do, you know, for thrills or for shock value. It really is just the quickest way to dispatch an octopus. I, I've tried other ways. I've tried stabbing it with my spear or trying to find the brain with your knife. You can turn its head inside out, but it really is, you know, still alive and, and, um, and, grabbing onto you but if you just are able to put your mouth right over its eyes um and just crunch down in the perfect spot it will dispatch that octopus immediately um it you know it might take a few tries before you can find that sweet spot and um and in that case like a lot of times when trying to bite it you might you know it might rip your mask off or it might ink in your face and and a lot yeah. of things can go wrong but I think once you have the technique down, it's just, it really is the most efficient. I mean, these days, it's just a one, one motion thing. I'll grab the octopus, I'll hold on to its head. The minute it wraps its legs around my arm, what it, I know it's going to then try and pull its head out from my grip. The minute it pulls its head, it stretches the head. I see exactly where to bite and I do it in one motion and it just turns white and it's dead. It's instant. Yeah, wow. Okay, cool. That's a that's an awesome story. So your dad sort of modeled spearfishing and sort of what that looked like to you. When did you get started yourself seriously spearfishing? When I was about 24 years old and I was graduated from college and living an island away from my dad, I think that's when it really hit me 
that I missed that part of my life so much. And the more that I thought about it, you know, and realized that I had always just kind of been his, his little tag along, his assistant, you know, his bag girl. Um, But I hadn't ever really tried to spearfish on my own. And, um, and I just thought, man, what a waste, you know, that I didn't, didn't learn these things. And, and I decided to just give it a try. And so when I was 24, I started swimming out and just going with a, a little three-pronged spear the way my dad would and trying to get fish. And to my surprise, I was able to to get fish. Um, but after about a year of doing that, I became friends with these divers that were just, I mean, they were national competitors. One was a national champion their names were Kalei Fernandez and Wade Hayashi, and they just really mentored me. I mean, they just taught me to dive on a whole new level. Hmm. Well, so they, they acted sort of like as sort of uh, mentors for you, I guess? Definitely. I mean, just really just being in the water with them was was the best like apprenticeship I could ever ask for. It's not like a type of mentor where there's a lot of talking done, you know, we're underwater and there is no formal Mm. training or program or anything like that. It was just the fact that I was able to go diving with them. And I think that when it comes to, you know, when it comes to really learning, I think one of the best things you can do is just watch. And for me, I, I just didn't know that was possible. You know, I had no idea that it was humanly possible to dive that deep. I didn't know that you could actually spear those types of fish. And, um, and so really just even seeing it with my own eyes was huge because the minute you see someone else do something, you know, it's possible and it already opens it up for you to do that too. I mean, it's just, it's just a fact, you know, like when you don't know that something's possible, it makes it so much harder to try. It makes so much more fear involved. And so I really think it's important to like not forget the pioneers and not forget the people who really were doing things first because it was so much harder, you know, it's, it becomes so much easier you know, once you see things being done, it already gives you that much more confidence and know-how and just vision to do it yourself. And so that's what these guys really did for me is just through example, I was able to see what was possible. Yeah, it's a it's a strong case for diving with different people and uh, and experienced people. The uh, only person I've really got to watch and spend a lot of time with in the water is Turbo, so that's probably why I can only dive to maybe seven or eight meters and um, and not really even shoot fish. But I have a good time because that's what's good. <laughs> but but you will get to my ten. One day. <laughs> no, ten meters. Yeah. Jimmy, you've been you've been you're pretty experienced now. You've been diving for quite a while. Um, what is what? What are you currently working on in your diving, or what's an obstacle now as an experienced diver that you're trying to get over, or a technique that you're trying to improve? I mean, I would just say it still always just comes down to form um, more than anything else. I think I think it it, it really. I always just want to be smooth in the water. I want to have finesse. I want to make sure that when I am taking a drop that 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 it's sleek that it's smooth that it's straight all these little things and um and that is something where I've hit points in my 
you know, in my diving experience where I thought, oh, it's in the bag and I have it down. And, um, and I did. And then the next thing I know, a couple of years go by and, and now I'm watching myself dive and I'm getting sloppy again, you know? And so it just, it's just always kind of just checking in on myself and just, um, just watching my form, I guess would be one thing I'm always trying to be aware of. Um, but but more than that, I don't know. I think it's just always um, seeing seeing what else you can do, seeing seeing what else is possible, and um, and not being afraid to try new things. You know, I think um, a lot of times we learn certain rules in diving. You know, and um, and we tend to follow those rules so that everything will work out. But then there always comes a point where you need to break those rules and try something different. And, um, and there's just definitely just a whole world of possibilities. And so I'm just, just always out there pretty much experimenting, whether it's new techniques or whatnot, but um, just always trying to see what else is possible. It's um, <clears throat> something to I try and work on my, my form as well. Shrek has an absolutely amazing <laughs> midwater barrel roll. For a bloke of 120 kilos, he's extremely graceful. <laughs> so it's actually it's poetry in motion, to be honest. Uh, yeah. We, we go and do some uh, pool freediving training with a with a squad every now and then, Kimmy and uh, Levi loves to watch my form. Just like a low flying F1. You never guess it was heterosexual. But anyway, uh, memorable fish. Uh, could you share with us a story of maybe your first memorable fish, Kimmy? Sure. I would say that my first memorable fish was um, was still back in that first year of diving. And um, I was only using a pole spear, a three-prong pole spear. And um, all of my, my dive buddies at the time were trying to get me to move on to a gun. But I just felt like there was still so much more I had to learn and wanted to master with the pole spear. So I was a pretty diehard with using that. And um one day I was just, I was out getting these little fish called mempachi and they're just these really delicious red squirrel fish that we love here in Hawaii. And, um, they don't get much bigger than, I don't know, five or six inches long. And I was, I was down looking into this cave where I was just, you know, poking these mempachi and I had my, my three prong loaded. It's just a simple, you know, simple spear with a rubber sling on one end and I had it all stretched and aimed and ready to go and um, right when I was lining up on one of the mempachi I just saw this much bigger head just slide into the back of the cave and it ended up being like the biggest bluefin trevally I had ever seen oh, very nice yes we call it omilu here in Hawaii and it's it's a favorite and I had never never gotten one, you know, with my three prong and this one was massive. And so it was just such a perfect opportunity. And I just let that three prong go. My spear flew straight and just nailed this fish right in the head. But before I could even celebrate that fish just turned so quickly. And when it turned that tight in the cave, it just ended up snapping the graphite of my three prong you know, just snapping wow. my spear in half like it was a pencil. Like I had never known a fish could do that. And and I just grabbed the back half of my spear and swam up to the surface just wondering like what just happened. And um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I kind of thought it was over, but still couldn't help just revel in like what a crazy experience that was. 
Um, but then I looked down and it was this huge um, cave systems of just caves and more caves and cracks. And, and I didn't see the fish swim out of it. So I started investigating until I could see this one little hole that just had a bunch of silt, a bunch of like dust and sand coming out of it and took a dive down to investigate that. And when I looked in there, sure enough, my big fish was there. He still had three feet of spear sticking out of his head. But when he <laughs> saw me, he just bolted. And so it really just became this chasing game. I had no tools or weapons left. And I was just swimming after this fish, following it around, um, just completely overexhausting myself. And I'd come back up and breathe and just take drop after drop trying to chase down this fish and wondering how the heck am I ever going to outswim a fish. Um, but finally on this one drop when I was chasing him through this crack, you know, he ended up getting stuck because the the spear was still sticking out of his head and it got stuck in one of the cracks of the reef and he couldn't go anywhere. So I knew that was my opportunity I just grabbed him by the tail, yanked him out of that crack. As soon as I did, the spear fell out of his head, and I just realized, like, this is it. There's no letting go now. And I just slid my hand into his gills and was able to get my knife and secure him. And it ended up being a 17-pound um, bluefin trevally, oh, wow. 17 or 18-pound. It was a big one. And um, yeah. and it was, yeah, that was our Thanksgiving dinner Um it was actually a new state record at the time, and um, oh wow! And I got it with a three prong, and it was just such a good feeling. That's a super impressive fish with a pole spear and uh, and a graphite body as well. Wow, this right. is awesome! It's a whole lot better than my history with the pole spear, which now stands <laughs> at zero and zero. <laughs> he, he uh, it's a funny story, Kimmy. He spent maybe three hundred dollars on the. I keep going. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Okay, like a really awesome high end. Was it a headhunter or a rife pole spear? No, it's rife. It's, okay, a, it's a thing of beauty. Top of the line pole mm. spear. Took it out maybe three times. Every time he just throws it in the boat in disgust and goes back to the gun. <laughs> and and since then, I've even gotten worse and bought myself a um, nice Matty sub roller head. So <laughs> I've got complete opposites. Oh, funny. It's that. There's a big art to using the pole spear, and I think it's it's really good when you're starting out, like to learn good I skills. So. I totally yeah. agree. Um, okay, that's a pretty awesome, um, memorable fish, first fish, especially with a with a pranger hit, uh, and sort of like recent years. What's what's one of your more uh, memorable catches? Um, there's there's a few. I think if I had to choose one right off the top of my head now, I would probably say another. Very memorable catch with a spear gun um, would be this one time when I went to I went to Texas and um, basically it was this trip where we had heard that there are these big wahoo you know out at these oil rigs outside of Texas and yeah, okay. uh, and you know so my friend my friend Mark Healy he had been there before and he was kind of helping plan this trip and he told me like. You know, there, there there will be big fish, but this will be a miserable trip. Like, you know, do you want in? And um, and so I said yes, and he was just absolutely right. I mean, there was I think there were four <laughs> or five of us, and we were on this boat that really wasn't very big. You know, um, 
and most of the space on it was used to, I think it was like 30 feet. And most of the space was used for fuel because we were planned on going 130 nautical miles out to sea. Um, and, and the weather just ended up being terrible. I mean, that was my first experience of a hailstorm. And, um, yeah, and the whole time the boat just smelled like gasoline and the guys are puking. One of them has to run. Like, it was just very tight quarters with a lot going on. Um, We had this one weather system just come in where we couldn't go. We had to just throw anchor and wait it out. And and everybody was just throwing up and miserable in the middle of the night. so it was a trek to get out there. The next day we pulled anchor, finally made it to the spot, only to jump into the water and see that it is the most shark infested water I had ever <laughs> oh, wow. seen, ever. And um, and not just like plenty of sharks, but really, really punchy sharks. I mean, I've I've had to like, you know, prod sharks away and you know, use a pole spear to poke them away, but I had never poked so many sharks in their open mouths before that trip. Oh, wow. um, and so anyway, I, we got out there and as soon as I jumped in the water and just realized how uncomfortable I was, I just kind of said, you know what? I don't even care if I shoot a fish on this trip. And I just called it from the start and I'm like, we are so far away from help right now. You know, we're 130 nautical miles out at sea on a tiny boat, diving shark-infested waters. Like, I don't care if I land a fish. I just want us all to get home safely. Um, And so I designated myself. I just, all pressure off, you know, I designated myself to be um, the group shark prodder. So basically... All, all the all the the guys, you know, would jump in, and I would just jump in with my three prong, and I would be the person and like just kind of on the perimeter, um, you know, just poking the sharks away, you know, just gently <laughs> prodding them away as they would come up hot, um, and and then they slowly start to like learn and give us space. But um, anytime one of the boys shot a fish, it would just turn on all over again, and yeah. I'd be the one diving down, you know, to the wounded fish at the end of the line poking away the sharks with my three prong and, um, and, and they were able to land a few fish, definitely lost a few fish to the sharks. But, um, but you know, all of that, all of that just kind of made me more comfortable with the situation. And, um, and after everybody had a go at it, I did decide that I would just get in the water with my blue water set up and see what happened. And as soon as I slipped in with that, with my gun in hand, the biggest Ono I ever saw swam right up to me and I was able to shoot it and secure it. And so weird, not a single shark bothered me, you know, maybe because they knew me as the three prong girl, but like <laughs> not a single shark bothered me. And I ended up, I mean, we, we didn't get back to land until two days later, but by the time we we did. We weighed that fish, and it was an 84-pound wahoo, oh, and still, nice. still my biggest to this date. And it was, it was just um, took a lot to get out there. And I think being able to take all the pressure off and focus on safety first, I just felt like it was life's way of rewarding me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. 85 pound. That's. I'm just trying to come on. Translate it. It's about 36, 37 <laughs> kilo. I think. That's a bloody good fish. Yeah. Awesome. All right, so moving on, what's your favorite hunting technique and how do you apply it effectively? 
I have a bunch of favorite hunting techniques and I could definitely get into detail about, you know, throwing sand and mimicking a stingray feeding at the bottom. You know, those things are, you know, can definitely pique the interest of fish around you. But more than just having one technique that I apply to every situation, I kind of look at the situation first and, um, and I just see what's going on down there. And, and if I can see my target fish, I just watch its behavior and I watch what it's doing and I try and mimic that. And so really it just depends on what type of fish you're hunting. If it's a blue water fish, I just watch the way it moves and I, and I try and mimic what it's doing. Um, if it's a reef fish down at the bottom and it's, you know, eating seaweed off of a rock, I don't just swim straight to that fish and put my gun at it. Like what I'll do is I'll just go find my own rock and pretend I'm much more interested in eating seaweed off of my own rock. And that fish will usually come to me. Um, and so basically I'm just studying what's out there and, and trying to, trying to join in. But the last thing I do is I, I you know, I, I just try not to show any interest in that fish. I try and keep myself busy you know, doing these other techniques or whatnot, but I just, I don't give too much energy to that fish. And, and I think that's just, that's just become a very obvious thing to me. And I think it applies in all parts of life. I mean, Mm. like (laughs) if, if you like somebody, you know, I think it's not a good idea to just start making like serious eye contact at them and just like staring at them, you know, focusing on them. Like you have to play it cool. And, um, and that's how I treat my fish. It really, it's just, it's really just like flirting. You know, if if I want this fish, if I like this fish, I, the last thing I want to do is be a creep. I don't want to creep it out. You know, (laughs) nobody, likes a creep and so I don't just swim directly up to it and I don't just stare at it I just you know I do my own thing or at least I pretend to I pretend that I have my own thing going on and whatever it is is so interesting that I allow that fish to come to me wow sounds like I've got a lot of learning to do (laughs) (laughs) um I'm gonna have to change my whole approach and uh good stuff to what (laughs) I don't know, but maybe just less eye contact. (laughs) G'day guys, if you're new to spearfishing, I highly recommend listening to our episode Freediving for Spearfishing with Pete Ryder. Pete uh, is an entrepreneur and an excellent freedive instructor, and he has come up with two great courses, the 10-metre freediver and the 5-minute freediver. I've used the 5-minute freediver to increase my bottom time, found it incredibly useful for my trip to the Coral Sea, and I cannot recommend it highly enough. His other course, the 10-metre freediver, is a great resource for those just starting out that literally want to get to 10 metres, and this course will help you learn proper breathing technique and some of the safety aspects associated with freediving. Use the code NoobSpiro to save 20% on all of Pete's courses. He's put together this deal just for listeners of the show. That's at howtofreedive.com. Use the code NoobSpiro. All right, cool. So, scariest moment. What is your scariest moment out spearfishing and what did you take away from it? I mean, off the top of my head, I think, the whole great white shark story always comes to mind. And, you know, there was this one time when I was in Mexico, a place where I definitely, you know, knew that there was white sharks around. But um, 
on this day that I jumped in the water, you know, there really, it was a very quiet day. Nobody was seeing anything. And when I slipped into the water, my mask was leaking. And so I had to have my head above the surface so I could fix my mask and see what was wrong with it. And as I was doing that, my buddy just started shaking me. And as soon as I put my head back in the water, there was the biggest great white shark I had ever seen three feet away from me and coming right at me. And <laughs> that definitely, I think, has to stick out as like the scariest moment. Um, but I, it's also interesting because I think all of the years with spearfishing and being underwater, you know, one thing they really taught me is how to react to fear. And I almost just have this triggered reaction now to do the opposite of what you're supposed to do when you're scared. And so these days, if something really scary happens, you know, I, I just, I'll go completely calm and almost completely numb because I just want to assess the situation or I'll just react. Um, but, you know, and in this situation I did react and how I reacted before I could even realize what I was doing is as soon as I saw that shark coming at me, I just swam just directly beelined it right back at her. And we were already so close to begin with, you know, and I mm. just did not know if I would be swimming directly into her mouth or not. But, uh, <laughs> but as soon as I moved towards her, she just turned away from me. And then instead of just seeing, you know, her black eyes and her sharp teeth, and I just saw her big broadside just slowly pass me by. And I mean, it was a moment when I truly got to take in the girth and the length of this feet of the, the girth and the length of this shark. She was um, over five meters long and wow. um, just this big, huge shark. But I also got to see that um, the way that she was moving, it wasn't aggressive. And um, it just really showed me that she wasn't, you know, she wasn't acting like a threat. And, um, and so I just kept my eye on her and she swam away. And then she'd kind of get curious again and come back towards me. And every time she did... I knew that I had to at least meet her halfway. You know, I, I just knew that in the same way where I say, you know, you don't want to be too direct or, or, you know, swim at that fish because you don't want to creep that fish out. I guess I, I really don't mind creeping this shark out a little bit because I don't want her too interested in me. And so yeah. every single time she swam up at me, I swam back towards her. And mm. like clockwork, when I would, she would then just kind of turn, pass me by, and I'd film her. But this one time when she was swimming pretty much like vertically up to me, I swam down and, you know, slowly made my way down to her. And when I did, I just hit this point of a negative buoyancy where I just started to sink. And as I did, she just kind of flattened out underneath me and slowed down to the point where she was barely moving. I mean, she wasn't even moving her tail. And yeah. I just knew I had two choices right then. You know, I could do a 180 and flip and start kicking back up to the surface, um, which just did not sound like a good idea to do right above a great white shark. Or I could just keep sinking. And if I was going to land on the shark, I just told myself, make it smooth, Kimmy, make it smooth. And so that's what I did. And I just landed 
right on her. I just kind of reached out my hand first, touched her, let her know I was there, and then held on to her dorsal fin, and we both just started to glide together. And so definitely what started as the scariest moment ended up being one of the most beautiful. Yeah, well, interwoven through your whole story, there's a lot of sort of self-awareness. Like at the start, you were talking about mastering that flight or or fight you know that the response we have in the face of fear and uh, you know like it shows a level of awareness to sort of realize what your natural reaction is in a situation and to and to decide you're going to consciously act in another way so that's pretty cool and um the other thing i've sort of picked up between hunting reef fish and body language and and changing it for the shark is being aware of what works in different situations um so that's that's really cool um, yes, I think you have to know the rules so that you know when to break them. I, I saw um, a lot of the footage from that encounter. Um, there's a, a video of yours on YouTube, Variables. It's had over 900,000 views when I, when I went to have a look the other week. I was, I was amazed. It's a great, it's a great um, piece of footage. Thank you. Yeah, that, um, it all did get captured on camera and it was just um, – you know, I really just held on to that footage for a while and didn't know what to do with it because I really, I mean, that was, that was back before, um, you know, everybody was swimming with sharks and whatnot. And I just wasn't sure, um, how releasing that footage would be. Like, I didn't want to send out an irresponsible message of, you know, let's all go out and try and ride (laughs) a shark or, you know, I just didn't want to turn anything to the circus. And so I did hold on to that footage for a while. Um, and then once it started leaking out on its own, I realized, okay, if it's going to get out there, you might as well put it out there with a message that you believe in. And so I really mm. made that video to be less about the shark and more about my philosophy on spearfishing and you yeah. know, and harvesting responsibly. I've seen lots of your videos. So I, I went through, went on a bit of a rampage because I enjoyed the first one. I've seen your TED talk and uh, what's your YouTube channel called? It's just called Variables. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I saw the North Shore video as well, and uh, a few of them. They're, they're great. You link in your sort of philosophy with um, you know sustainable harvesting very well. So no, that's cool. Thank you. Brings us neatly to the next section of the show too. Oh, didn't is... we have another scary moment about currents? Ah, okay, yeah, go there. Well, I, I, well, I've, basically, guys, I stuffed up the recording, so I've heard this one before. <laughs> so I'm just going to put my hand up for that one. But Kimmy, can you tell us that story um, about, I think you were shooting a Wahoo and uh, it kind of went horribly wrong. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that great white shark story is a very obvious go-to when people ask what your scariest moment is. But for the most part, that is the exception. And I would say, I mean, way scarier than sharks um, or any other predators out there. Um, another terrifying moment that I got myself into was, um, was just dealing with currents. There was this one time, um, where we were on this boat, this boat trip and we had been diving for a couple of days and we were ready to go back to, to Maui. Um, and, and I just had a couple pieces of bait fish left, like not a lot at all, probably not enough to shoot a fish, but I didn't want to waste it. So I just asked my buddy if he wanted to jump in the water with me, swim out to the drop off, crumple my burly and call it a day. Um, yep. And so that's what we did. And, you know, we, we didn't end up bringing any any floats or anything like that, which is 
terrible and not responsible, but, you know, I just really wasn't expecting, I know, very bad. Um, (laughs) But I, you know, I was not expecting to be in the water more than a few minutes. And, um, and so I swam out to this japa, crumpled the fish and said, okay, let's call it a day. And I went to swim back to the boat when this big wahoo just came right in. I couldn't believe it. And I had, um, my my gun, my real gun, and just pointed at it, shot the wahoo, and it was a big one, and it just ended up spooling me and then towing me. Um, it wasn't it wasn't a good shot, and this fish had a lot of power in it, and so it just towed me until it you know until it ripped off, unfortunately, and got away. Um, but it ended up towing me out into the most ripping strong current that I've ever felt ever and I had no idea what to do and my friend had followed me and got caught in that same current and we were both just like getting swept it's always better with a friend right yes exactly (laughs) at least you Um, went on your own that is a good point it's true now that is very true um (laughs) it's still terrible of us and all other measures (laughs) <laughs> but at least we had each other. <laughs> and, um, and so we're basically getting just like, you know, sucked past the last point of this island almost. And um, and and um, luckily what happened is that because that fish had spooled me, I had, you know, a lot of, of real line out and my shaft was dangling, you know, over, over 100 feet below us. And it ended up just catching on to this pinnacle that came out of nowhere. Um, and and the barb of my shaft ended up hooking into this pinnacle. And that just kind of became our lifeline. So, so my buddy, um, he basically grabbed on to the real line. It was, it was too hard for him to hold on to the gun. So he, the best way he knew how was he wrapped, um, he had gloves on, and he wrapped the real line around his gloves so that he could really, really hold on. And then I just held on to him. And we just like, you know, stayed there kind of hoping that the current would somehow eventually slack or that the boat people would, you know, see us. Um, and and we, we tried to wait it out. But then my, my, ha- my, my buddy's hands started bleeding through his gloves and he couldn't hold on anymore. The line was cutting right through his hand. And um, so he had to push me in front and it was my turn to hold on. Um, and he held on to me. But as soon as we did that, the rushing current, you know, being the person in front, it ended up getting into my suit. I ended up just totally expanding into like the Goodyear blimp. And um, <laughs> I just was too heavy to even stay afloat enough to breathe out of my snorkel and um right when I was realizing that I was drowning um I didn't have time to think about it because the barb then broke because I had become too much weight for that barb to handle and we both were just (laughs) sent spinning and tumbling into this current I just clipped my gun to my belt and told my buddy like we gotta stick together and just freestyle it in and we both just swam the hardest we've ever swam and we barely made it back to the last point of that island. I mean, we, if we didn't get it at that point, I mean, we would have been adrift for a while. Um, and, 
And then, you know, and it wasn't even over there. We had to then walk back across sharp lava rock, like bay after bay, and finally got back to the bay where our boat was in, where no one had even, you know, remembered that we were gone. And, um, yeah, and I'm just like beaten down. And finally, I see the boat and it's my relief. I dive into the water to swim to the boat. And I end up like diving face first into a Portuguese man of war <laughs> that just stung my whole face, made it swell up. And Can you give us the uh, Hawaiian remedy, the Hawaiian remedy for a uh, Portuguese man of war to the face? <laughs> well, everybody says you have to pee on it. So, of course, everybody on board offered that to me, which I very politely refused and instead I, I ended up accepting just a cold beer which <laughs> I used half the time pressing it to my face and the other half just drinking it for comfort yeah. <laughs> oh, very good. Uh, that's such a good story even the second time around despite <laughs> Levi's recording prowess that was awesome beer solves lots of problems doesn't it mm-hmm <laughs> Hey guys, today's Veterans Vault is brought to you by Cheryl Daly. That's right, Isaac's mum. And the reason it's brought to you by Isaac's mum, Cheryl Daly, is because she just bought a copy of what, Shrek? Yeah, 99 tips to get better at spearfishing. She said in her review, this is way better than buying chips from the shop. Yeah, she loves her fashion chips, that's for sure. But more than that, she loves throwing a feed of fresh fish straight in the chilli bin. So... Thanks, Mrs. Daly. So if you would like your own copy of 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing, where can they find it, Shrek? Go to Amazon.com and get your hands on some actionable information to improve your spearfishing. So the next part of the show is called Veterans Vaults, where we ask our special guests to take us deep into an area of their spearfishing expertise. So we've, um, because you've been such a well-known, prolific traveller, I thought we'd ask some questions about spearfishing and travel. Sure. So one thing I noticed was uh, about maybe, was it 18 months ago, some footage started coming out of all this um, Arctic diving, and I read through your About Us page and it talks about diving with um, all different species of whale, and Norway was mentioned. Where, where, where? What other Arctic locations did you dive? So, in this year was my first time going to the Arctic, and I I went oh. there actually three times this year. Um, oh wow! To Norway, and then um, also to Nunavut, which is the um, very very upper regions of Canada, close to Greenland. Um, okay. And, and yeah, and diving, diving the Arctic was just absolutely amazing. Um, and we got to see everything from walruses to narwhals and, um, Arctic char and just so many species of animals that I'd never seen before. Um, but even, even before seeing the animals themselves and, you know, the fish and whatnot, like, I think. I think just just the fact, just being able to dive ice for the first time, that was just absolutely fascinating to me. And I think I just kind of got to a point in my diving where <clears throat> I felt like I've been to, you know, so many places. And I've also just got to spend so much time underwater. And 
I absolutely love it. I, it doesn't grow old to me. But but I think I've come to a point where I feel like I have seen most things that there are to see underwater. And being able to dive the Arctic just turned that completely upside down. And um, mm. and that was just the, the intrigue for me. It's just knowing that um, that leaving your comfort zone is just such an important thing to do. You know, I think... I think it's a, it's hard for all of us, and we all have these voices in our heads just telling us like where we belong, where we should stay, and what we're good at. And veering away from that can be a very vulnerable place. And a lot of times, you know, things might not go well. But um, but I do think that it's absolutely the birthplace for for self growth. And so I do try to make sure I always take the time every once in a while to leave my comfort zone and and do something different and. The chance to dive the Arctic, that was exactly that. That was taking the world where I feel the most comfortable, the most at ease, and just the most able, and turning it on its head. And I just remember sitting there at the edge of the ice, like just realizing that I had no idea what I was in for. And, you know, I've always just been a major wimp when it comes to cold water and chilly water. And here I am now in a nine mil wetsuit, you know, sitting on a frozen ocean um, and just having all of these voices in my head saying, what are you doing? And how is this going to work? And, you know, like just crazy questions. I don't know what below freezing water feels like. I don't know what it's going (laughs) to feel like when it touches my exposed skin on my face or or how long it's going to take me to get warm when I get out of the water because my camp is still an hour away. I don't know if my hair is going to freeze. I just there were so many unknowns that were just making me so nervous and so scared. Um, and I just kind of sat there and and listened to them all one at a time. Um, you know, knowing that they're more than insecurities, they have very valid points, and I just tried to answer every single concern with what my plan of action would be. And then I slipped into the water. And um, and as soon as I did, a bunch of those answers, you know, a bunch of those questions were answered immediately where, you know, first of all, it, it, it definitely hurt. <laughs> like my whole face just felt like a billion needles were just poking it and stinging it. And no matter how much Vaseline I had put on it to try and take away that edge, um, it, it definitely hurt. Um, is, that, is that one of the uh, techniques you put Vaseline on your skin? That's what I was told. And I did try <laughs> a dive later without the Vaseline to see if there was a difference. And there definitely was. So, oh, right. so wow. yeah, it does help, but it doesn't prevent it from hurting. It just lessens the edge a little bit. Um, still worth it to do it for sure. Um, but But yeah, after a few minutes, then my face went numb. And then I had about an hour of feeling really good and feeling really comfortable. And, you know, all my my wetsuit was doing its job. And even though I was wearing nearly 30 pounds of weight, like it was all well balanced. And um, and just being able to look around and be in such a foreign world underwater I mean, just thinking about it right now, it's still, it still just gives me shivers in a good way. I mean, I just remember looking down and just seeing the darkness of just miles deep 
cold ocean and then seeing mm. all of these alien looking creatures emerging and coming <laughs> up to me, these transparent sea angels with these wings and iridescent colors. And then when I took my first dive and went under the ice and just explored the structure that was below and saw the colors that were there and the way that the ice just illuminates underwater. Um, I, I just, I felt, felt like a superhero in some foreign world. <laughs> it was amazing. It was truly invigorating. Wow. So one of your main sort of inspirations for travel was to sort of put yourself way out of your comfort zone. And Kimmy, I got a, I got a quick question. What besides the Vaseline? Because I hate the cold too. <laughs> like, I'm as soft as they come. Give us some. Have you got any tips for like just staying comfortable? Like after the dive, is there any like little tricks or little pieces of equipment that you could recommend that just make the difference? Yeah. There's only so much we after all. Right. Um, I mean, well, first of all, it's it's super important to just obviously be geared up correctly, um, and so. Definitely, well, I was wearing my 9 mil wetsuit, um, the thickest gloves and thickest spin socks I could find and, and all of that. But, um, but beyond, you know, and Vaseline on your face. But um, the way that we, we did this, I mean, it was pretty, it was really a cool system because it, it was so cold. I mean, everything was yeah. just frozen out there. So what we did is we set up a tent. Um, we set up a tent on the ice. And um, then we went and we collected a pot, a big, big pot of snow. And um, we had a little stove that we put in the tent and we, we boiled that snow, you know, we, we melted it and boiled it. So we had a nice boiling pot of water in there. And, um, and then, so that's where we would go to get into our wetsuits to begin with. So as soon as you don't want to take your clothes off when you're outside, you know, it's, it's freezing. So <laughs> we go into this like sauna like tent um, and one, you know, one person at a time it was a very small tent and it kept the heat in and just pretty much stripped down um, and then would take, you know, some snow, mix it in with the boiling water until it was like the perfect warm temperature Totally like, you know, lube up your suits, get them all wet and warm, slip into them. Yeah. yeah. And then and then put everything on in there. So by the time you walk outside of that tent, you know, you are just you have so much protection on that you're okay. And and then during the dive, um, I just you know, I would ask for I would swim back to the ice and I'd ask you're not supposed to you know people say don't drink coffee and free dive and but I yeah. love coffee so much and, um, <laughs> so I I just like was, my friends were on standby with these thermoses and I was totally just drinking drinking coffee in between dives just to keep me warm um, and that really helped keep my um, core temperature up also um and then as soon as i would get out of the water to um actually when i would get out i could actually handle a bit but but um the the protocol for getting warm again was back in the tent you know back to that boiling water um taking your suit off and just pouring warm water over you over and over again until until you're ready to dry off and put the nine layers of clothing back on and get back out there (laughs) Wow. When you started to get um, travel, Kimmy, when you started to get opportunities to go traveling, how, how did that sort of come about? And, um, and what did you sort of learn straight off the bat? 
Well, my first time ever diving outside of Hawaii or spearfishing outside of Hawaii, that was um, for the United States National Championships. And so that, that was the first opportunity I ever, well, I didn't get it. You know, I, I paid for it and earned it. I wasn't a sponsored diver or anything. I had to fundraise and, you know, sell anything my art and t-shirts and whatever, you know, I could come up with to raise the funds. Um, and, and I, you know, and I got to, to Newport, Rhode Island and, and competed in the national championships. And, um, and after that, that, you know, I ended up winning that and, um, and, and then I ended up getting sponsors and, and more opportunity came my way, but it was always kind of geared around competing. Um, yeah. And I did get to, you know, see parts of the world through that and got to compete in Tahiti. And 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 it was amazing. Um, but at the same time, there's just something that, that didn't really feel right to me or didn't really feel like the best use of that opportunity for me, knowing that. I was going to these places I had never been before and rather than just truly, you know, exploring and diving into the culture and, and trying all the different fish and, you know, eating fish every night and meeting people and all those things that I would think that I would love about travel, you know, when the goal is, is simply to compete, it really changed the whole trip. And so I'd basically be going to these places, but, being so focused on a contest where every single day I would just go, you know, go to the contest grounds and just scout and just scout and not, not shoot any fish, just scout. And, um, and all for just one day of competition to walk away with a trophy. And I think, I think in the beginning, I, you know, I, I did need that. I, I needed that validation. I wanted to set that goal, um, and see if I could accomplish it. But, um, within no time, I kind of quenched my thirst for that and, um, and realized that, that there could be a lot more to traveling out there than just, you know, scouting for a contest. Um, Mm. and so I think after that, I just like saved up and took my own trip to Palau and really got to just do it the way I'd want to do it, which, you know, just involves like shooting a fish every day and eating that <laughs> fish with the locals and, you know, going diving with the local sparrows and grilling a fish over a fire with them and having all these other amazing opportunities that you couldn't have even planned for happen because you're so available to go with the flow. And, um, and I kind of realized, well, this is probably the end of my spearfishing career because there's no way you can make a living off of that. But it sure is fun and it sure does feel right. <laughs> and even if I have to, um, you know, just keep working and, and save up every penny to do this, this is what I like more. Um, and and that's what I started to do. But within no time, um, I don't know, I, I just seemed like I, I got a lot more support and I got even more of a following because people could relate to what I was doing because while I was there, you know, along with immersing myself in different cultures and learning everything I could, I was also just just learning about the underwater ecosystems and learning about how other people manage their natural resources and just having really conversations, you know, and and it just kind of, I think, intrigued a lot of people um, for the whole idea of exploration, of conservation, of different cultures, of working together, of food, whatever it is, um, it made spearfishing 
something that more people could relate to, you know, and, um, and I think it also helped bring spearfishing into a better light than it maybe had been to the mass public before, because I think Mm. there's a lot of people out there, you know, um, who definitely, they, they see these people, these savages, you know, going into the ocean with these spears and hurting these innocent animals and, oh, how dare you, you know? And, yeah. and I think, you know, um, it's complete ignorance for sure. But um, I think up until that point, you know, we, a lot of what we had really was just big fish pictures of holding dead fish, um, holding trophies, stuff like that. And so if you weren't already at a level of understanding that it's so much more than that, I think that really could like push people the wrong way, you know, where I think a lot of people started to think that spearfishing is the opposite of conservation. And, and I think there's just something about traveling and showing the cultural side of it in different places and showing the survival side of it and showing the sustainable side of it. And then just Mm. showing the beauty of it, the lifestyle. Um, I think it really helped a lot of people, you know, who are sadly so disconnected to their food source that they might have previously judged us. It really helped them bridge that gap in their mind and see like, Oh, like maybe this is like, not a bad thing, you know, maybe, you know, and, and it brought, I think that helped bring spearfishing into a better light. And through that, I ended up, you know, getting more opportunities and more support and, um, and just getting opportunities that felt a lot more authentic to who I really am. What's, uh, what's been your favorite trip so far? Hmm. If, if you had to, maybe that's too, oh, too narrow. Man. Yeah, that's a really, that is, that's a really tough one. Um, okay. I love diving Africa, Japan, the Arctic. Um, really, there's just something special about every different place. And um, yeah. big fish or little fish, they all just come with their own memories that it's hard to choose one. Do you, do you think that cold, cold water fish taste better than tropical water fish now? I think they're different. I think mm. that... Um, I think that when I'm in in cold weather, I the I it's the cold water fish that I need. You know, I need uh, okay. all of those omegas. I need every I just I love that fatty, fatty fish because I'm freezing cold and it helps so much and it helps sustain me so much more. And the last thing I'd want was, would be some, you know, lean seaweed eating reef fish. I I want Mm. the fatty char or the Arctic cod. Um, Mm. but, but when I am home in Hawaii, it really is. It's just all those little, all those little seaweed eaters that I love. And, um, so I think, you know, which each place, you know, if it, if it grows together, it goes together. So (laughs) I've uh, got a quick one with all your traveling and, and taking gear all around the world. What are some tips that guys can take away to transport their equipment? And what, what have you found the best way to package equipment up to get it overseas safely? I, I still stick with, um, with a sports tube, a hard case sports tube. I just feel the most secure with that. Um, you know, everybody thinks I'm going snowboarding or skiing or something, but, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but it's just, I, I like that. I mean, there's so many great soft cases out there today where you can fit your fins and your guns and everything. Um, but 
there's something about me that just I feel so much more secure knowing that my stuff is in a nice hard case and no matter how it's handled it will still you know be intact when I get to it um a funny little tip that I've learned is um that if I'm not if I'm not going far and if I am just gonna bring a gun in a soft case or something um and I don't want to put my fins in there that I can just carry my my fins on. They will fit in the overhead compartment of so far every airplane <laughs> that I've been in. Um, and I have a great backpack where I can just secure them straight into um, my right backpack and I don't even have to hold them. But I would have to say that um, part of that is just, you know, it, it makes sense. But another reason why I tend to do that is because the conversations you'll have in airports yeah, yeah. are just amazing. People have no idea what these long flippers are. Um, or, you know, if there's any other free diver in the near area of you, they will come straight up to you and have a conversation. So, yeah. so it's also just like a really good way to meet people, which has led me to, um, to dive spots and just, you know, everything, because when people see you holding these fins, um, they'll, they'll make that connection and they'll come up and talk to you. And, and now that's like half the reason why I do it. <laughs> I've seen a couple of awkward conversations. Funny you should mention it. Like, uh, we walked into the swimming pools one day, Turbo and I, and he had his big fins and someone came up and said, Oh, what are they for? You must dive really deep with them. And Turbo was like, <laughs> You know, like, I, I should get down deep with him, but, you know, he, he had to tell them, you know, what his actual limits were. But they they understood, and I, I got to share with them a little bit about what they can be used for, so oh. that's pretty cool. <laughs> you wise old sage. <laughs> uh. Next part of the show is the funniest thing you've experienced out spearfishing. Gosh, I'm sure there's funnier ones, but recently, very recently, um, I just took a bunch of my girlfriends diving. A lot of them um, are are getting into free diving and spearfishing, and it was my friend Jess's birthday, and she her wish was to have an all girls crew and go get some dinner. So, oh, cool. yeah, so we all took the boat out. She's an awesome boat captain, and. Um, and we were just diving, you know, and it, it was not a serious day because all of them are, are still learning and none of them have wetsuits or anything. So I just was in my bikini that day um, and just showing them the ropes mainly, but going down and, you know, poking a few fish here and there. Um, and then I saw this huge octopus and, um, and <laughs> I think we know where this is going, but anyway, <laughs> I, I went down and, um, tickled this octopus out of its hole and it ended up being like a big one. Like its tentacles were longer than my own arms. And so, oh, wow. yeah. And, and so as I grabbed it and, um, waited for the opportunity to bite its head, um, it was a lot harder than the usual one and <laughs> took me a little longer. And I could just hear my friend Jess just laughing through her snorkel <laughs> underwater. It's like cracking up. And I'm like, well, I get, you know, I guess people really get a kick that I, that I bite my octopus and whatnot, you know. But yeah. I, I killed the octopus. I was dispatching it. And she was just still laughing. And it wasn't until I was completely done that I looked down and it had totally undressed me without me knowing it. And I still had the bottoms on, but it just totally took off my top, 
while, while I bit it and I didn't even know. And that's why Jess was cracking up is because I was half naked while putting an octopus in my mouth. <laughs> no, that's a pretty cool story. Awesome. All right, fast five facts for noobs. So if you were starting spearfishing all over again, what five bits of advice would you have loved to have had? Well, first of all, I, I did definitely, you know, stick with this tip and I think that it worked out really well for me so I would say um, a new spiral should start with a three prong I am a, a firm believer of that I know it probably doesn't apply to everybody but I Help just me. think that <laughs> I just think it's, it's just such an important step of the learning process yeah. and why would you want to speed through that like I yeah. know there's really big fish out there. I know there's a huge selection of guns out there. but just, There's just get, fish out there, Kimmy, and I want to shoot some. I know, <laughs> but there's the, the, the starting with a pole spear, I just feel like that's yeah, such agree. an instrumental time where you can develop these reactions because you don't have the range that a gun has. You really need your fish to come really close to you, and so you're going to learn so many techniques of bringing that fish close to you that you wouldn't have to learn if not. And secondly, just when, when you spear a fish with a three prong, you know, it's not secure right away. And so you have to usually pounce like a cat and grab it, pin it against a rock or do all these crazy things. And to me, it's just, it's that, it's that intuition. It's that n natural instinct. It's just that yep. reaction that you develop in, because you know, you need to develop it. It's going to be so handy for you later in life. And and I would think it would be a little hard to start with the gun and get all these huge, huge fish and then go back to the mm. three prong. So I would just say, you know, if you start with the three prong, I, I, I'm very, um, very Mr. Miyagi about this kind of stuff. <laughs> Hold up. Uh, Shrek's sitting here. He's nodding away. He's in complete agreement with it, <laughs> which I love because this means that next time we're going out, Shrek can use the pole spear. There you and go. I'll stick with my roller head. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm into that. Hey, Kimmy, thanks for your first tip. That was a real alpha tip. Have you got like a beta tip or a delta tip for turbo? What? <laughs> Well, you know, not everyone's capable, so maybe just like a toned down tip for people with. Oh, actually, yeah, limited, give it, give us, give us an awesome pole spear <laughs> tip because I was mad about them at one point, and who knows, maybe I'll get fired up again. But what's a what's what's a great pole spear tip? I would say, hmm, I mean, a great oh, one little pole spear tip that I don't see a lot of people doing is you don't have to load it. You don't have to like stretch that rubber and hold it into place before you take your drop. I mean, that's what I see everybody do. But the amount of energy that your muscles need to hold that thing, there goes all of your oxygen, you know. So okay. what I do is I just I just dive down with it uncocked and just like check out the situation first. And then when I see the fish, then I play my little flirt game while I'm loading it, <laughs> you know, and it just it buys you so much more bottom time. Then if you're, you know, if, if you're using your muscles to hold that tight from the get-go. That's Excellent. awesome. That's great to so know. when you're using it next weekend, don't cock it, <sighs> go to the bottom, I'm play your creek game. I'm going to Swains this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I might take it with me. Hey, uh, okay, that's two tips. Can we, can we, can we get three more? Another, another good tip. Okay, well, another good tip for a beginner it would just be like anytime you get a new mask, you have to know that that thing is going to fog up like you've never seen anything fog up before. So so don't just 
get a new mask right off the shelf and think that you're going to go diving with it like that because it'll ruin your whole dive. Um, you know, most of the masks that are on the market today, they have this this film that's on them that um, it, it will make that mask fog. And so there's, you know, that you have you know, spit that you can use and you have, have these like sea drops and all these other like defogging things. But for a new mask, that usually isn't enough. Um, you know, you'd have to spit on it and scrub it like 20 times and hope that that would do the job. And so I would really recommend if you have a new mask, immediately go for something that's a little more abrasive, like toothpaste, and spend the time before you even get in the water just scrubbing, scrubbing the inside of those lenses over and over again, just really trying to get it as clean as you can. And when you think you're good, do it again, because you don't want to be out there in the water dealing with it there. Cool. Great advice. Okay, that's three tips, two more. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my main tip, I was a, I was a total like um, go-to, but um, it's the best advice that was ever given to me when I – was free diving and it's simply when you feel the need to speed up slow down and I, I truly do believe this um whenever I watch a new person trying to dive um it's 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 just crazy how how fast they'll try and swim or how hard mm. they'll try to kick and I think the mentality behind that is that they want as much time as they can possibly have on the bottom you know, as much bottom time. And so they feel like if they get there a lot faster, they'll have more time. But it, it mm. truly is the opposite. Um, mm. You know, the harder you kick, the more energy you spend. The more energy you spend, the more oxygen you lose. And um, and if you really want to make that one breath of air count, go slow. Like, slow is fast in the water. And, um, and, and, the minute you start to feel like, oh my gosh, I've been down here too long, I'm running out of air, you start to feel those little indicators that are like, hurry up, hurry up, rush, rush, rush. Those should be the indicators that tell you, go slow. Anytime yeah. you feel that need to speed up because you think you're running out of oxygen or whatever it is, um, do the opposite and make yourself slow down. And I just think that you will be so surprised at not only how much more time you actually have, but just how much safer it is to dive that way because panic is the first thing that will just make you run out of air in a heartbeat. So don't panic. Don't rush. Slow down. Slow down, Shrek. When you feel the need to speed up, you creep. <laughs> slow down. <laughs> so, uh, all right. You got a last tip for us, Kimmy? Sure, I do. <laughs> <laughs> She's got tips for days. <laughs> um, I would pick it on her. I I think that one th cool thing about the ocean <laughs> is that um, nothing nothing goes to waste in it. And so for me, it's like if I if I do have an octopus and I know that um, the part of the octopus I don't want to eat is the guts, like I will always try and get rid of that in the ocean, um, you know, before I get out of the water because that's where it best belongs. But you can always use these opportunities and be a little more resourceful about it. And um, the more that you get to know the the animals you're hunting, it's like the more it can all make sense. So if I get an octopus, I know that I'm going to swim out to a place where there's fish. And that's where I'm going to, you know, take the guts out of my octopus and see what that brings in. Because 
it really, the more resourceful you can be, it just shows you like that whole circle of life. And it's amazing how many fish I've gotten just from simply cleaning my fish in the water or cleaning my octopus in the water. And definitely it comes with the danger of bringing sharks and other things in too. But I think when you are at a level where you're comfortable enough to handle what could come in, you should see what it can bring in. Yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. That's a great tip. All right, I'm going to sum up your fast five. Um, you did a great job, by the way, Kimmy. Uh, tip number one, if you're brand new, don't skip the pole spear step. Tip number two was with a pole spear, you don't have to load up at the surface. Tip number three was um, when you get a new mask, make sure you prep it and spend spend your time prepping it because you don't want to be dealing with fog when you're diving. Tip number four and the theme of your TEDx video is slow down when you feel the need to speed up and uh, it makes sense on a lot of different levels, you said. And tip number five was um, make sure there's no waste. Use everything and be resourceful. Mm-hmm. So, and tip number six was watch out for octopuses, they're perverts. So, <laughs> yes, like, exactly. Like Turbo, so anyway, that's cool. Um, the, the last sort of question um, is what's in your dive bag? From head to toe, sort of what are you wearing on day-to-day diving there in Hawaii? Hawaii. <laughs> I, yep. I, I say have, it wrong now. I've realized I've said it wrong. That was very things. good. <laughs> I, I have – fin socks and booties, you know, um, and I have fin keepers, those little rubber elastic things that can hold oh, your yeah. fins to your feet better. Um, okay. I have my long blades, my long rife blades. Um, okay. I have a two piece wetsuit. Um, is, is that a rife? You use I mostly rife? I, I, I switch off. Okay. So I, yeah. I, I have a rife. Um, yep. a rife wetsuit that I wear quite often, um, and it has a hood and everything, but lately I've just been very strange. I really have liked diving without a hood, um, because I can, I can, I'm learning really to, to listen to kind of one sense that I haven't tapped into much in the ocean is just a sense of sound very much. And, and I found that now like diving, um, without a hood when I can, when I'm not in cold water, it is amazing how much more aware I'm becoming of things. Um, you can hear a reef before you see it. And so if you're scouting out new grounds and you start to hear this crackling noise, even before you can see anything, if I follow that crackling noise, um, it's the sound that a reef makes. It's just the live corals and everything. No matter what, like, if you don't have a hood, if you really try this, you know, swim over sand, and listen to how that sounds swim over a very active reef and listen to how that sounds and and it's truly amazing yeah. what you can yeah. learn from your sense of sound but um so i do switch off here and there sometimes i wear my my hoodless custom patagonia wetsuit and sometimes i want want to be completely covered um from head to toe in my in my rife digitech um so it's always one of those and um and then i have my rife weight belt with my weights i have my um nixon dive watch i have my rife gloves i have my aqa um rife frameless mask and i have my snorkel oh and i have my knife cool Uh, okay and can i ask what whose pole spear are you using and why do you love it I love the rife pole spear if I'm going after big game. So if I am like in the Bahamas and, you know, going after big snapper out there, that's what I go to because it has every option that 
I can use for hunting down a big fish. But when I'm just home in Hawaii, um, you know, winging it, I, I just, I have a whole assortment of just old, old spears and they're all like, you know, seven, seven feet long or shorter, but, um, just cool. a bunch of them. Yeah. I, I kind of just, I just like the simplicity of it and, and switch off quite often. <clears throat> Most recently I've been using a Lance O'Hara, um, half aluminum, half graphite. That's an awesome dive bag. Yeah. So, look, um, what are you doing in the next 12 months? Kimmy, what are your sort of plans? You got more travel on the horizon? Well, for the rest of the year, I'm going to try and stay home. I've traveled so much this year alone where I think I've been to about, I don't know, 11 different countries from when the year started. And now I really want to put in my time just, you know, where my roots are at. But um, yep. come January, I'm going to go to Antarctica. Oh, yeah. I figure okay. I saw the top of the world, so I might as well go see the other side of it. Wow. So leave from the bottom of the South Island of New Zealand, or is that the way you're going to go? Maybe. I, I really I don't know. I think we are going to sail across um, Drake's Passage, so um, maybe wow. leaving from yeah the tip of South America and, and going across that passage on a sailboat. Um the details are still still being organized, but yeah, yeah, yeah. we're definitely sure. going to make that happen in January. Mm. Look, okay, cool. I've um, mentioned your YouTube channel several times in the interview, so I'm going to link that up in the show notes. People can find those on noobspiro.com. Uh, you also do art and you're a culinary chef. Where can people come and find you? Um, well, kimmywarner.com. That is my website, and I think that's where you can that, – that's just the home of pretty much everything that I've created so far, whether, you know, videos or stories or blogs or, or recipes, and, um, and we have my art section coming soon, so that would be the best place. That I, um, Instagram's always good too, I guess. <laughs> okay, cool. Come on, awesome. I'll link all that up in the show notes. Um, I'm going to try a ceviche recipe that you – have up online uh, uh, when he shoots a fish <laughs> <laughs> i really want to try it out so um yeah cool awesome it's been great to have you on the show kimmy and uh it's been a long time coming so thanks for joining us today no problem thank you so much Thanks for listening to today's episode. It was an absolute cracker. I thought I was exceptional. Shrek, you, you're okay. So <laughs> if you would like to connect with us further, get on to noobspiro.com and check out our email newsletter. It comes out once a month. It's full of the happenings and goings on around the place and some great deals on there from our sponsor, Adreno. Now, further than that, if you are a fan, need a new shirt or even just a grease rag, check out Noob Spiro's new line of shirts. Uh, so that's in our store there. And Shrek, what can they do if they want to become truly a master of spearfishing? Yeah, look, Noob Spiro podcast is always about helping people to become better spearos, and we have condensed and combined some of that information along with our own experience into an ebook that you can find on Amazon.com. It's called 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing, the actionable information you need to improve your spearfishing. Also, guys, quick request, uh, wherever you listen to the show, leave us a review. It helps other people find the show. And uh, it's always good to be chatting with you. Looking forward to getting in your ears again in another fortnight. Thanks for listening, guys, and hope you nail a big one. Big thank you to our sponsor, Adreno Spearfishing Supplies. You can find Adreno in Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne. They are one of the biggest and best spearfishing stores in the world. 
and stock a full range of spearfishing gear, more than you could ever imagine. So check them out in store, or if you prefer to shop online, check them out at spearfishing.com.au and do yourself a favour, at checkout, use the code NOOBSPIRO to save yourself $20 on all purchases over 200 So that is spearfishing.com.au and use the code NOOBSPIRO at checkout. G'day guys, I hope you enjoyed today's interview with Kimmy Werner. I sure did the parallels with body language, adopting non-threatening body language and you know between spearfishing and real life was phenomenal. Really enjoyed hearing a bit more about that big great white shark encounter as well. Look, uh, next interview we are off to Greece to talk with Vasily Koronios. He is a fantastic spearfishing video maker. His editing skills are phenomenal. He uh, recently came second he in a video competition over there that we will discuss more during that interview. Catch you later. <laughs>